0: Our Bible reading this morning is taken from Colossians And we'll read again from Colossians chapter 1 Verse 9 Right through to verse 14 Colossians chapter 1 Verse 9 Through to verse 14 Let's hear the word of God Colossians chapter 1, verse 9, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son, in whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of sins. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own precious and infallible word. Now this morning we are continuing our series of expository sermons in the book of Colossians and at present we have been considering Paul's prayer in Colossians 1 verses 19 uh, verses 9 sorry uh, through to uh, 12. Um, Now remember this prayer is unique. It has been inspired by the Holy Ghost. It is one big spiritual prayer. It's so different from a physical prayer or a material prayer. Remember, as I've told you, it's one whole prayer. And for the purpose of study, we've broken it up into uh, constituent parts. Parts. If we were to ask, what did Paul and others pray for for the church at Colossae when he was in jail at Rome? Well, here's the answer. We're not left to speculation. We're not left to conjecture. We're not sort of saying, well, I think he said this or that. No, he prayed that they might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. He prayed that they might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing. He prayed that they might be fruitful in every good work. He prayed that they might increase in the knowledge of God. He prayed that they might be strengthened with all might. He prayed, also offering thanks for God's inheritance. Now, that's where we've got to. And if you look further and closely at verse um, 12 and 13, the prayer begins to merge with the description of the generosity of the Father toward us in Christ. In verse 13, I believe he is offering thanks to the Father for his wonderful deliverance of us. Now, that's my text for today, verse 13. Here's my overall theme, a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance. Not only does he offer thanks for God's inheritance, verse 12, but it's also a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance in verse 13. You see, his mind is full of giving thanks to the Father. If we pause, what do I thank God for? Not not just for general things, physical blessings, material blessings, temporal blessings, not just general things like mercy and grace and covenant faithfulness, but actual specific things for God's inheritance. The Father, he says, has made us meet or suitable or fit to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. Now look with me at verse 13. What does he actually say there? Uh, Think of the words, who hath delivered us. Do you see the connection? It's a reference to the Father. Here's something else to thank God for. This is all the Father's doing. You see, it's a prayer of thanksgiving for God's deliverance also. If we were to ask this morning, well, what's the best kind of deliverance? We might say, well, national deliverance. We think of World War I, World War II. We think of it. 1588 and the Spanish Armada and the deliverance there. National deliverance in times of war. What about personal deliverance in the face of danger or disaster when people have been saved and rescued? No, the best kind is not national and not personal, although we're thankful for that, but the best kind is spiritual deliverance. A spiritual deliverance that's found in Christ. And if we're going to be thankful to God, as we ought to be, then let's thank God for deliverance from spiritual darkness. Listen to the text. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. There's three things here. Think of the sinner's dreadful condition. The Apostle Paul, I believe, wants us to think of our dreadful spiritual condition, our spiritual status. Look look at the words, the power of darkness. You've got to think of the exact phrase. What does it mean? Why did Paul include it? Why did the Holy Ghost inspire him to mention it and to write it down? You see, the word power, boys and girls, speaks of rule, speaks of authority, speaks of jurisdiction. Speaks of control. The whole phrase, when you add it together, power of darkness, speaks about being under the control of Satan and sin. See, every sinner in the world is under the rule, the authority, the jurisdiction of the prince of darkness, the devil himself. Now, the individual, of course, isn't aware of that. He doesn't know God, he's no sense of the knowledge of God, his heart and mind is full of sin, he's got a hatred of God, he's an inbuilt bias to God, he's in spiritual bondage, he lives a wicked lifestyle, he's in the lap, as first John 5 19 says, in the lap of wickedness. You've got to think of the spiritual state of every sinner. He is under the power of darkness. And this, of course, is an awful expression. And as I've said, it describes the sinner's dreadful condition. Think of this. Every sinner under the domination of sin. Literally, he or she is being held like a prisoner, like a slave. He or she is not free. They're under a spell. They're under a power and authority of another Over there in John chapter 8 and verse 32, these words were uttered. Then said Jesus to these Jews which believed in him, If ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. It says in verse 33, They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and were never in bondage to any man how sayest thou ye shall be made free so he's teaching them about spiritual freedom and these are jews who were annoyed we be free men we're not in bondage to any man we're free to do as we please we have the power of choice and the lord jesus is saying no you don't You, you think so but it's not true The only power of choice you have Is to choose according to the inclination Of your heart Remember the Bible says the heart is deceitful And above all things desperately wicked Who can know it And every heart outside of Christ Apart from the grace of God Is enslaved by sin It's inclined to sin and wickedness It it, it has a love of self and a love of evil Uh, The individual has no power or ability In and of oneself to choose God Or to choose good there's none that doeth good, the Bible says. The human heart, their choice is to do sin. And of course, the Lord Jesus said that. Verse 34 of John 8 Jesus answered them Verily, verily, I say unto you, whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin. And the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the Son abideth forever. If the Son, therefore, shall make you free, ye shall be free. Indeed. Think of the words. He that committeth sin is the servant of sin. What does that mean? The word servant means a slave to it. In other words, he or she is under the power of darkness. The issue has to do with control. You see, you're not in control if you have got a, an alcohol addiction, you're not in control if you're having an adulterous affair. You're not in control if you've got a gambling habit or a drug addiction or you're given to drunkenness or given to pornography. You're actually under the devil's control. You're under the devil's power. You're in the devil's prison, a slave to sin, and you're chained by your sin. You're a slave and a servant to your passions. Satan is your master. He is your ultimate controller. You're a captive to sin and Satan. Now, that's the true sinner's dreadful condition by nature. Not only is every sinner under the um, uh, domination of sin, he's under the darkness of sin. John 3.19 says men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why? Because they've got a dark and depraved heart. Uh, And the sinner's evil and wicked deeds begins with the sinner's darkened and depraved heart. And every sinner is capable of the most terrible things to do with wickedness. He not only is he a lover of pressure, but he become angry even to the point of being violent. His heart and mind can be full of hatred. He can choose war, violence, bitterness, jealousy, theft, lies. Why? Because... He's got a darkened debris of heart that that breaks the ten commandments remember what sin is sins the transgression of the law of God and God's uh, purpose in giving the law was so that the law would act like a mirror to show us how sinful we really are and of course that's why there's so much deception in the world uh, and so much uh, evil and wickedness in the world and so much brokenness and heart because Mankind is under the darkness of sin, and the issue has to do with being controlled by a controller in a state of corruption with a darkened heart that results in condemnation. Isn't this what the Lord Jesus said in John 3 verse 18? He that believeth in him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. I want you to think this morning of a man walking into a police station. He's got a crime to report, and the sergeant's at the desk, and that's very good. I've got the pen here. Um, what crime would you like to report? This is what the man says. I committed murder. I made it look like a a suicide pact. I murdered my wife and her lover. The man, of course, is interviewed. The man's interrogated. The man's psychoanalyzed. Why now? After 20 years, and he makes this awful confession, that he grew up in a fundamentalist church, he heard the preaching of the gospel, he made a profession of faith in Christ, But after this dreadful deed, he had neither peace in his heart and mind. He had a tormented conscience. He he had no rest. He was under the control of a state of anxiety, fear, and terror. And and he confessed that the guilt of his sin hung over him. And for 20 years, he wore the mask and all was well. And he he could smile and be happy and enjoy the things of life. But the reality of was all the opposite. He knew his guilt. He knew he was in a state of condemnation. He knew that this was a horrible way to live. He knew that he was in spiritual darkness, facing eternal darkness. Because boys and girls, young people, that's what hell is. It's a place of outer darkness. There's no light in hell. Now, none of us loves the darkness. And that's one of... Hell's outstanding features. There's continual blackness, continual restlessness, continual emptiness, continuous, endless torment where the guilt of your sin is is brought up to your memory. And you have no peace. And you have no hope of rescue. And, And the Bible says in Psalm 9, verse 17, The wicked shall be turned into hell and all nations that forget God. And you think of the story I told you, into this dreadful condition, you think of the men of Arnhem, at Arnhem Bridge, and the need to be rescued from that clear and present danger. And there was one who took a message to headquarters. And there was one who not only carried the news, but was successful in bringing the news of that danger. And then, of course, a rescue mission was launched. That brings us on to the second point Not only the sinner's dreadful condition But think of the sinner's divine liberation Look at the text Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness And hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son You see, think of the words Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness We're thankful for deliverance from spiritual darkness. From being under the domination and the the darkness and depravity of sin. How? By a divine liberation. You, You think of, on the one hand, satanic darkness. That's controlling you. Using your corruption to bring you to condemnation. And on the other hand, there's sovereign deliverance. You've got to think of the source of this liberation. Who hath delivered us? The answer, of course, I've already told you, is God the Father. This is a divine work. Isn't that the testimony of entire Scripture? That salvation is of the Lord in all its parts. Jonah 2 and 9 behind me in the pulpit here. Salvation is of the Lord. He proposed it in eternity past. He planned it with God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. He, He purchased it through the death of his Son. He procured it on redemption ground. He proclaims it. You see, it's all of God, and all of God's good grace. And the sinner is enabled to free himself, just like those soldiers couldn't escape the uh, line of German fire. They had not the means or the ability to do it. In fact, the sinner is even in a worse state, because he has no desire to do it. So much is he under the grip and control of the devil and the power of darkness. He doesn't see himself in being in need of freedom. He doesn't see himself that he needs to be delivered. He can't do it himself. He does need a deliverer. He needs a liberator. He needs a redeemer. And there's only one able to do that. One that's divine. One that is stronger than the power of darkness. You think of a person taken captive, carried away to a strange place. Maybe hooded. Don't know where they're at. Chained to a wall. They can't free themselves. That's the picture. They need a liberator. And the liberator, of course, needs a plan. And needs the power to do it. And, of course, there's a price involved. Now, thank God for the divine plan of liberation. God has delivered a plan from all eternity that's rooted in his sovereign grace and mercy. Not only the source of this liberation, but think of the strength. You see, it involved not only a divine work, but a delivering work. It was one thing to have a plan, but as the liberator got the power to deliver, think of the words, who have delivered us. The word delivered means to be rescued from danger. Now, that's one strand of the thought here. You've got to think of the power of the liberator to come. The man who can storm the house or the castle and set the captive free and break the chains. And the devil, of course, is pictured in the Bible as a strong man, He's armed, he keeps his goods safe, his palace is secure, and that's all okay until a stronger comes than he and overcomes him and spoil his goods. And the teaching of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is stronger than the devil. And Jesus Christ is the power to overcome the devil and spoil his goods. And the devil, of course, is not able to withstand the power of Christ. The word delivered not only means rescued, but it means removal. It's not only a rescue that takes place, but the individuals are removed completely from being under the control and domination of the power of darkness. They're taken out of that sphere. You've got to think of that. You also have got to think of the spending of the liberation. You see, every military battle involves a cost. Every battle... In every struggle, there's a price to be paid. Blood has to be shed. Think of a hostage situation. A person's taken captive. There's an attempt to free them. You and I spiritually are in Satan's prison house. The deliverer has come. But it involves a price. It involves a spending. It involved a cost. And what was the cost for our deliverer to come and deliver us from the power of darkness? It involved his death. Death. The Bible tells us here in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. And having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. And that's a reference to the cross work of Christ. Jesus Christ was incarnated in the womb of the Virgin. Jesus Christ was born... In the fullness of time with a real, true, sinless humanity. Jesus Christ lived a sinless life. Jesus Christ went all the way to the cross and suffered and bled and died at the hands of the devil. And that was Jesus Christ's greatest battle against the powers of darkness. And he triumphed over the the, the, the devil Not only in that he died, but that he rose again from the dead. And he now lives in the power of an endless life. And by his rising again, and by his blood shedding, he not only conquered uh, sin in all its ugliness, but he conquered Satan as well, and and, and, uh, took the the keys of hell and of death, and is the victor. Because the Bible says he led captivity captive. So, you've got to think not only of the sinful, sinner's dreadful condition, but you've got to think of the sinner's um, divine liberation, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness. Now, notice one other thing here in the text, the sinner's delightful translation, and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear Son. Now, what does that mean? It means we're taken from the sphere, the power of darkness, And we're brought into another sphere, and that sphere is entirely different. It's the kingdom of his dear Son. His refers to God the Father. Jesus Christ is God the Father's eternally begotten dear Son. So we've been brought from under the power of darkness and brought into the privileged status of divinity itself, the kingdom of his dear Son. This is what we're translated into The kingdom of his dear son If you have a margin in your Bible uh, Notice it tells us very clearly The son of his love That's literally the rending of the Greek You've got to think of the affection of the father For his only begotten son This is my beloved son In whom I'm well pleased Hear ye him But you've got to also think of the affection of the father for all that's in the kingdom of his dear son. He has loved us with an eternal, free, sacrificial, personal, powerful, continual love. We're all his dear ones. We've been translated into his kingdom. You've got to think of a new relationship. You've got to think of a reception here. Now here's the picture rescued from that spiritual danger of being under the control and domination of the devil and removed from that sphere. That's great. But there's more. We're brought into another sphere and there's a reception for us in this new sphere, the kingdom of his dear son. And that reception's one of love, one of grace, one of mercy, one of kindness. Not not that that should surprise us, but that should satisfy us, that should thrill our hearts, that should make us truly thankful. Now let me in the time that I've left try to tease this out a little bit. When you think of the words and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son, what does that mean? It means we've been delivered from sin's penalty, the wages of sin is death, the gift of God is eternal life. It means we've been delivered from sin's power, the power of sin has been broken in our lives. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. We're being delivered from sin's pleasure because we now have a new love. The love of God is shed abroad in our heart by the Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, and we, we, we no longer love sin. We, we hate sin. In fact, the opposite is true. We, we love righteousness because Jesus Christ, of course, hated iniquity and loved righteousness. And we're like Christ. So we're being delivered from sin from under its domination, from its darkness, from its depravity, in that this deliverance has brought about a, a removal and a rescue from sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure, and one day from sin's very presence. Because ultimately will be um, revealed and made manifest as being part and parcel of the kingdom of God's dear Son. So, so that's involved. But there's another element We're told And have Translated us Into the kingdom of his dear son We're not only delivered from Sin's penalty, power and pleasure And one day from its very presence But we're delivered To be subject unto Christ the king If we've been translated Us into the kingdom of his dear Son, that means The son is the king Of this new kingdom. In other words, we have a new master now. No longer Satan, it's the Savior. We've got a new Lord. We're subject now to a new King in this new kingdom. It's the kingdom of His dear Son. He has rescued us, removed us from this sphere, the power of darkness, and received us in love in the kingdom of His Son. To be his subjects. And he's not a, a, a tyrant. He, he is a, a, a trustful ruler. He, he's a, a true ruler. And he has rescued and removed and received us to live under his lordship. And that's true freedom. Think of the words that we've quoted in John 8 verse 32. To whom the son sets free is free Indeed. Jesus Christ is the very best king ever, boys and girls. He's a wonderful king, a glorious king, a gracious king, a good king. And now that he has changed us from being under the power of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of his dear son, he wants us to love him with all our heart, soul, mind and strength. He wants us to live for him. He wants us to be loyal to him. Remember what Nathanael said, and I was thinking of the words when I'm away. It's a long time since I've preached in Nathaniel. He said this, Nathaniel answered, John 1, verse 49, and saith unto him, Rabbi, thou art the Son of God. Thou art the King of Israel. And let me spell it out this morning. You can't be a true believer, professed to be saved, if you willfully refuse and reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You see, I want to emphasize this this morning. Many, many professing Christians in Northern Ireland talk about having Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they testify that they've been saved from sin's penalty. They've got the ticket to heaven. But they have this mindset that they can live and do as they please. I want to tell you, you can't. Now, while it's true as a Christian, none of us can render a perfect obedience to Christ. It's true that we're not made perfect in love. It's true that our sanctification is always a work in progress. But it's equally true that without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You see, some Christians tell us that holiness of life is not that important. But it is. Why? Because this is the will of God, even your sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. It's the will of our King. And once you realize that he is our king and I'm in a kingdom and I'm subject to him and he's a wonderful, good, gracious king, as king, this is one of his great offices. He lives for the welfare of his people. He lives to do them good. He lives with their best interests at heart. He's subduing us to himself. He's weaning us from our sin and from from self to him. And we, we live under his law. The law of love. And will not do anything that offends him or or, or do anything that dishonors him. He's also, as king, going to subdue all his and our enemies. You see, so often in the Christian life, we focus on this. I am saved. That's a wonderful thing. Can you say that this morning? I am saved. Saved from sin's penalty. But can you also say, I am being saved. That is saved from sin's power at work in your life. You see, there's not just a thing as an initial deliverance. There's a continual, satisfying, glorious deliverance from sin's power. We are saved to keep his laws, the laws of the king. We're saved to do his judgments. We're saved to submit to his rule. And of course it's a wonderful thing to have a full and free and forever justification. Can you say I am justified? Legally? Declared righteous? But remember justifying faith is not alone. It's always accompanied by a sanctifying grace. And that's where I am saved comes in and I'm being saved. Now now, now that's the fruit and evidence. It's not the ground. It's the fruit and evidence. Don't understand me. We are giving a new heart that that hates sin and turns from it, and one day there'll be the final deliverance from that. We will be saved from sin's presence forever. That's the day of our full and final deliverance. Can you thank God this morning? You've been rescued by the great liberator, Jesus Christ. He has released you from being under the power of darkness. And you can say, I'm no longer a slave and a servant to my sin. I have been redeemed by the precious blood. I have been reconciled to God. God's my father, and this is what he's done for me. And I'm being renewed in the image of Christ, and I'm thankful. I want to ask, what are we truly thankful for? A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned to the children something very, very important. The ten lepers, only one came back that was truly thankful. What about you? Are you listening to me right now? Maybe on the internet. Maybe here in the house of God. Have you realized your dreadful condition? You see, we talk about freedom. And that's the buzzword in Scotland at the moment. Freedom, William Wallace's cry in the 13th century. But what is true freedom? Here's the answer. To whom the sun sets free is free indeed. Free from what? Free from being under the power of darkness. From this dreadful condition. And if you realize that, then you're in need of divine liberation. And there's one who's able to deliver. He is able. And that will involve a delightful translation. You'll be delivered to be subject unto Christ in his kingdom. The word us here, who hath delivered us, it's mentioned twice, is a reference to God's people. Are you one of God's people this morning who have realized your dreadful condition, saw the need for divine liberation, and you've experienced it from this source that's God the Father, because he's, he's stronger than the power of darkness. And he paid the price. And he's brought about a delightful translation into the kingdom of his son. May the Lord take these few thoughts this morning. And bless them to you as you have listened to them. Thank you for listening.